Welcome to the School for Healthcare Entrepreneurs, the only podcast that provides actionable insights into the healthcare industry. Brought to you by Emitter, the leading communication platform for your healthcare business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the School for Healthcare Entrepreneurs. Today, we have with us someone who needs no introduction. I'm very confident that people who know the world of dentistry know our guest today. We have with us Ken Kaufman of Community Dental Partners. Ken has been a CFO for well over 17 years now. He was the CFO of Nomad Handheld X-ray Business and led the sale to the business of Kevoker Group. Since the beginning of 2016, Ken has served as the CFO of Community Dental Partners a well-known DSO supporting more than 70 locations today. And just to let you all know, Ken also runs his own podcast, which is called the Net Worth Hacks Podcast. So do give it a listen. Ken is here to talk about his journey and his vision uh, as a finance leader. Thanks a lot, Ken, for doing this and for being part of the show. Yeah, and well, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Um, I'm particularly excited about this one. Like I mentioned, we've not had um, finance leader talk about their finance experience on the show, and and you are the first one. And I'm and and we've heard this from so many of our guests, and um, yeah, sorry, so many of our listeners. They've come back to us time and again, asking us specific questions around the complications that finance has in the world of dentistry. So I'm I'm sure that this is going to be super helpful for our audience. Sounds great. Perfect. So to jump right in, Ken. Um, Maybe let's um, you know take a step back and and talk a little bit about how you got into the world of dentistry and if you could talk to us a little bit about uh, you know your role. Yeah, sure. So the first time I really was involved in dentistry was in 2006. I was doing some finance consulting for smaller companies, smaller businesses, and I started to help an organization. Uh, that was working on mobile dentistry. Uh, it was in the uh, greater Las Vegas area and they'd figured out how to retrofit a Winnebago 53 foot trailer and pull that up next to the parking garage for employees at these large casinos who on their lunch breaks could then come or on, on break time could, could come and get at least a basic hygiene visit done. And uh, they, it, it was a really interesting business model. I jumped in, kind of helped them get that organized. And ever since then, I've been in and around uh, dentistry. It seems like I could, couldn't get away with it, away from it, I should say, at some point. Um, but uh, the the Nomad handheld X-ray business was the next place where I was involved, and that was a it was an amazing company. Dr. Turner built a very innovative product that really uh, was disruptive uh, in the space. And ultimately, um, Cable Kerr Group uh, came and bought that bought that organization. And I was part of that group for about 18 months after they purchased the company. Wow. Well, that's, that's exciting to know. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that's a very unique experience. I'm not sure uh, how many finance leaders in, in our industry would have experienced uh, an acquisition, although it's very you know common nowadays, but I'm, I'm not sure how many of them have led an acquisition. And and while to the world it seems like a great event, I'm, I'm sure that for you as a finance leader, it's 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 a lot of work, a lot of complication, taking making sure a lot of compliances are met. 
It was, it was definitely one of the times I think my wife would tell you that I worked the latest and the longest uh, to push through and make sure that all the dies, eyes were dotted, T's were crossed, and we made sure to get that across the line. And, and, and ultimately, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about selling a business, um, the more that you actually care about making it a great business so that the next person or the next organization that owns it can be successful with it. Um, it's, there's a lot of pride in it. And so we took a lot of pride in what had been built and what I had helped build once I got there. Cause I wasn't there obviously from day one. Um, and we made sure we were just handing over something that we could be very proud of and could be a legacy business. Well, got it. Got it. Yep. I, I think I completely agree with you and, um, it's, it's, it's difficult to build a business. So, uh, I, I know what, what you're talking about. It's definitely, uh, you know, a lot of ups and downs continuously throughout the journey. Um, so Ken, maybe, uh, like I said that, you know, since you are the first person who's, who's a CFO and uh, a finance leader on our show, um, could you talk to us a little in detail about what really is the role of a CFO? The reason why, um, I want to make sure that we, we really put it out that what really a CFO brings on the table is because, um, now we are seeing that inflection point where people are realizing that. Uh, groups are becoming more and more successful and probably that's the business model you need to go after. You need to partner with groups. And every time I, I, I talk to, you know, uh, leaders, they, they tell about the changes and, and uh, you know, how their business completely changed once they got a CFO or a finance leader into the business. So it would be really helpful and important for, you know, upcoming groups and, and people who are still contemplating, do we need a finance leader? Do we not need a CFO? If you can talk to us about exactly about what's your role. Yeah, you bet. There, there are several functional elements that I'll maybe take a second and mention in a minute. I think it'd be helpful if I start from the high level mindset and talk about where the real impact is. Uh, and then, and then obviously a CEO who's currently having a controller report to them, they're usually happy to hand that off. And, and to somebody who's used to running that type of, you know, that part of the organization and those sorts of things. So I'll get to that, that part in a minute, but at, at the high level animal, the way to think about a CFO coming into an organization is they become the protector and the innovator of all things in the business model. And so what happens is as a CEO or as, you know, a dentist that's becoming a CEO and maybe a chief operations officer, or however the organization is developing, there are always lots of great ideas. There are always lots of ways to, to change and, and to grow and to try to improve things. Ultimately, the CFO becomes the guardian, the protector, as well as the innovator of the overall model because they see down into the very deepest crevices and they ultimately can tell what types of activities will have the best outcome. What are things that maybe are pet projects that we should kill that aren't really gonna add value? What, what's gonna drive ultimately, and, and, and what the business model should always be striving toward is, I mean, we're creating great patient experience, a great experience for our doctors and our staff, but at the end of the day, the business model needs to be trying to create more free cash flow through efficiency, through growth and innovation projects and all of those sorts of things. Inside the organization, what everyone should be trusting the CFO with is, here's all our amazing ideas, 
I need you, your organization to analyze it and figure out and help us understand what is the best way for us to grow our organization and accomplish our mission. And it becomes somebody that's very locked in arms with the CEO and the overall vision of the organization. And they, the CFO becomes a support to all the other business leaders as they're trying to figure out, you know, their KPIs, how to best um, align what's going to drive the best outcome for the organization with what's going to drive the best outcome for patients and, um, and doctors and everything else. So that's the high, high level animal. Um, and then, and then as you start to peel down, then it's, Hey, you don't, now somebody's running the, that accounting function. You don't have to worry about it anymore. There, if there are audits, um, they're going to take on the banks. If you have loan covenants and those sorts of things that you've got to meet, um, or, or if you're raising debt or equity financing, they're going to be very heavily involved in that. And then right. the other part is what, what's called FP&A or financial planning and analysis. And there's going to be a methodology for building out your five-year strategic plan and seeing where does that take you and what does that, how does that change equity values and what impact does debt or usually debt versus equity have on those outcomes. And there's, there's a lot of other pieces on the, planning and analysis that ultimately your CFO is going to lead those functions and, um, and be the part of your executive team that is always looking for how do we improve this model? Does that make Absolutely. sense, Animal? Absolutely. For me, the biggest takeaway to answer your question, if it makes sense, is that, um, and, and I can say this from my experience, I could be wrong. As, as business owners, as people who are passionate about their business, let's say, for example, a dentist who's passionate about providing great oral health, you sometimes tend to you sort of uh, deviate from what's the reality. And what it seems like to me is that a CFO comes in, a finance leader comes in and puts rea a reality check in place that, hey, this is where we are, this is where we can go, and these are the things we need to put in place, and these are ideas which are worth executing, and these are ideas which we should just park for now. That's exactly right. I love that summary. Thank you. Great. Great. And um, Ken, you, you, uh, the things you spoke about, um, you know, of course, I'm not a finance person. So a lot of these things, uh, for me, they, they definitely go over the head. And uh, when I speak to most dentists, they, they also tell me that dental school doesn't teach you anything out of anything outside of oral health. So running a dental practice, whether it's a private one or a multi-location practice or a DSO, is as hard as running a business because you don't learn business at school. Um, so I'm sure that there are so many groups, there are so many dentists who are leading large organizations, private practices, but the, this aspect of finance, which you spoke about revenue cycle management, finance planning and reporting, uh, the modeling, planning for private equity, et cetera. How, can, how do you suggest that, uh, you know, let's say upcoming DSOs or just private practices or groups with less than five to 10 locations, if they can't afford a full-time CFO, um, how do you think they should approach this, approach this problem? Sure. Um, I, and I, I love the way you asked that question. And the thing that I want to be super clear about being in dentistry is I've never met a dentist that isn't really smart. It's, right. and, and, and so if, any one of these dentists who want to be the CEO leader, and if they want to jump in and learn these finance concepts and 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 get really good at them, they can. It's not ultimately it's not rocket science. Uh, I'd say probably becoming a dentist is a lot more complicated and more difficult than becoming a CFO. And so um, they they can jump in. And so so option number one is they can learn it and try and, and take it on and get some experience with it. Um, option number two would be there are some great uh, folks who have been in a 
uh, CFO role who now actually hold themselves out as consulting CFOs, where they might work with two or five or maybe 10 different companies at a time in an outsourced function and bring in that high level CFO perspective and give some leadership to the accounting finance team and then, and also support the CEO and the rest of the team and, and lead toward private equity. So there is an opportunity to find consulting CFOs. Um, and, you know, if your listeners wanted to reach out, I know of a few out there that are, um, that, that, that are uh, really good. Um, right. And then in the final way is, is, uh, or the the final piece of the puzzle is uh, because uh, you know folks who are trying dentists who are trying to grow uh, into a group practice um, when they feel like finance starts to become their biggest constraint that's when they should focus on this it might be that they're they're feeling like oh, I'm more concerned about patient flow and getting my marketing dialed in then I'd say maybe hold off on the CFO for a minute or getting right. into that high level higher level executive type and and look for more of a leader executive type to really help you get your marketing dialed in or help you get your operations dialed in I, you really should go toward where you feel your biggest constraint uh, when you feel finance starting to become a constraint bank are turning you down because they say your financial statements don't make sense or or your projections aren't aren't giving them confidence about where you're going those are the signs where you probably need to start to have somebody who can do a little more heavy lifting to support in those areas absolutely absolutely and and and, and to your point uh, where you said that uh, you know I, I think two biggest takeaways for me um, uh, you, you said it's probably harder to become a dentist uh, than to become a finance leader just last week, I was I was speaking to uh, another CEO from a DSO, and and I and I had read this piece of article which said that being a healthcare provider or or being a dentist is extremely hard. And I asked him why, and and he told me that I will not give you the technical of why, but um, think of it from an engineering perspective. And I said, what what does that mean? And he said that remember that uh, an oral surgeon is. Uh, doing basically an engineering project on a machine that's live, whereas everybody else is doing an engineering project, maybe let's say on the top of sheets, et cetera, which is not a machine that's live. So he said that it's, it's very difficult that you are essentially pro, uh, you are essentially doing something on, on a person who's living and, and you have to handle their pain, et cetera, compared to things that you can just do off a computer, which is... That's right. Yep. And, Something and that's that in an organization is we... It, we our, our industry, we drill on human bone while people are awake. It's, right. it, it's, it's so there, there's so many layers to unpack around all of that and it's complexity. There's no question. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And, and, and hopefully, you know, um, as, as we get uh, more and more groups, um, we will see more and more finance leaders and, and importance being given to finance coming in. Great. Um, I have a very specific and pointed question for you next, and, and I'm sure that a lot of people are going to benefit from this. Um, so, so we've read well over, you know, I can, thousand probably is an understatement. We've read well over thousands of reviews. And every time we read reviews, um, one theme that sort of, uh, you know, continues to be there always with regards to the negative reviews or a misunderstanding is that, hey, the receptionist told me that we accept a particular, uh, you're, you're essentially you're, you're covered in this network, but after the procedure, we found out that we were not covered and they charged us or they sent us a bill, so on and so forth. Uh, this is something that we've seen time and again, and, and of course I understand there may never be a 100% accurate solution for this, but uh, 
if you could talk to us and and if others who are listening to this podcast can learn from you how you've essentially approached this problem at uh, at community dental partners to ensure that patients you know once they are on the chair at least they don't they, they you know they're not spun by surprise that okay i'm i'm here now but i'm not covered yeah that's right there's there's nothing worse in dentistry than the balance bill being sent to that patient when they yeah. are unaware <laughs> that it's coming so if we back all the way up sort of to the beginning of, of, Hey, I'm going to start a dental practice, or I'm going to start building a dental, uh, a group of dental practices. Um, understanding who is the patient that you're trying to serve is super important. And our approach has been to niche down hard. We focus on a very specific patient type within a very specific demographic and psychographic category. And what happens whenever you do that, and I've, I've said this in other settings, when you niche down hard and you know your patients so well, all things, including revenue cycle, get easier and simpler because they tend to have the same type of insurance. They also tend to respond to the same type of marketing. They tend to, like you can go, go all the way down the list. And so again, I like to start by thinking about your, some of your questions at, at a high level. And that is the more niched down you are, the easier, this, the easier it's going to be for you to implement what I'm about to suggest. And that right. is you have to know the insurance programs that your patients use. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. You can do insurance verification um, and and have phone calls made and some of them are online and all of these different things. But to the degree your your financial advisor, treatment quarter, coordinator can sit down with the patient and clearly articulate exactly what their out of pocket is and be right and be confident that they're right. You're creating amazing experience for that patient and you're giving them exactly the, you know, the, the decision-making tree that they need to decide, am I moving forward with certain treatments or am I not moving forward with certain treatments and so on. So I hope, hopefully that helps Anson. You can, you, you maybe I didn't answer that specifically enough. You can poke and prod me if you'd like, and I'd, I'd be happy to go deeper. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, what you pointed out is super important. Know your customer, know your persona. Don't try to be everything for everyone. Um, and, and that's been my biggest learning as well, uh, speaking to other leaders. And, and I think you're spot on that. Um, once you've figured out a playbook for what you want to be for one set of uh, cohort, you can probably replicate that. And, and then that essentially cuts down your uh, chances of error. So I think what you just spoke about, uh, it, it sort of expands not just to the insurance, but to multiple levels, like you spoke about marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and just a follow-up question to that, Ken. Um, so, so this is uh, around insurance and, and again, uh, uh, around claims itself. Um, two follow-up questions, rather. Do you think that claims in some way, today we know that uh, essentially uh, validating and, and verifying insurance details for pre-authorization requires calling the insurance company, getting information and, and all of that process. But do you think, uh, one, that process is going to get automated in the near future? Um, two, and another, another trend that we are seeing is a lot of membership coming up. And um, uh, one of the association leaders, essentially someone who works at ADA, I was speaking to them and they said that the, the relationship should exist between the dentist and the patient. Why is there an insurance in between? Um, and, and I said that, uh, how can that happen, right? Uh, insurance is essentially what's covering the patient. And they said, you could have memberships. So, so do you think that uh, the trend is in that direction, um, that patients would start accepting memberships and, and, sort of, and, and that's what would happen with DSOs as well? 
So yeah, let me start with that second question around memberships first, and I can address that. And again, there's a couple of principles or philosophical ideologies we have to attack here. The first one is, if you stop and think about the concept of dental insurance, it's kind of ridiculous. We buy insurance and we should buy insurance for catastrophic loss. And yet we buy dental insurance and we love it because, oh, wow, this is such an expensive dental insurance, but it has an annual cap. And besides the fact, there's nothing that's going to happen in your mouth that's going to be so catastrophic um, that that ultimately doesn't fall over to your medical insurance side. And so I, I heard somebody once say, um, insure, uh, purchasing dental insurance is kind of like buying insurance for haircuts. You know, you're going to utilize it, you know, you're going to need it. And you're letting this insurance company come in between you, like get in the way of you being a consumer of services and supposedly negotiate pricing. And then of course, based on the last, the, the most recent conversation you had, then you end up balance build and it's frustrating and everything else. And so for, first of all, I just have to question like dental insurance at, at, at its maximum has an annual, it has an annual cap and, and it's, it's not like real insurance that's going to save you from catastrophic loss. Right. Now, if I, now let me jump off of that because dental insurance, it can still bring value. It gets people going in uh, to the, to the dentist. They can generally get their um, exam x-ray and cleaning for free when, uh, if they've got the right dental insurance every six months. And it's a great cadence to really improve oral health care. Um, the membership plans I see as being very, very valuable. Um, and I love the connection of the patient actually having that relationship to the dentist. Um, and third-party payers are always going to do things that they are incentivized to do, like make it difficult to get pre-authorizations done, okay? Right. It's it, just to think about where the money is or think about the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. Um, they're going to make, there are certain things that are going to be difficult. I do not see pre-aus being automated anytime soon. Um, I wow. think at some point we'll get there and we can always look to healthcare who led consolidation way before dentistry. And you can see, wow, there are signs maybe eventually we'll get there, but it's not going to happen soon. Um, the other thing I'll mention is the largest payers in dentistry, which are the government and the large uh, managed care organizations representing uh, Medicaid and other similar government sponsored programs. They have been moving more towards automation. And so it, it is coming, but the traditional PPO insurance of the world, I don't see it coming super fast, but I think it will eventually. Got it. Got it. Wow, that's that's. I, I think uh, that the analogies were great. Um, and and just a follow up question to that, Ken, you you said that uh, the government organizations are focusing on the automation, which is the Medicaid and the Medicare, but but not really the PPOs. Um, is is there some sort of automation that has already happened, and and in what format? How does it look like? How does it work? If if yeah, you have. So yeah. Yeah, that's a fair question. So yeah, it's primarily on the claims side and on the appeal side and, and the, the record side and submission. And of course, there's, you know, the, the middleware that allows uh, the two platforms, right, a, a provider all over to a, an insurance company or, or a third party payer um, to do that. Um, and, and we are seeing they're starting to um, allow for rather than phone call pre-offs, uh, where if you get the right information organized the right way, you can get pre-offs by submitting electronically. Um, but there's still a process. It still takes time. It still requires follow-up and everything that goes with that. Got it. Well, yep. And, and, and I'm assuming it's a good starting point. 
hopefully if, if that cuts down time for Medicaid, maybe even by a couple of minutes for each person, hopefully people will uh, move forward and make that technology better and, and, and that'll just make it better for the industry. Um, just had another follow-up question around that, Ken. Um, and, and this is more of a personal question for my own learning. Um, is is pre-authorization um, a bigger of a deal with Medicaid and Medicare DSOs than with PPO DSOs? Or do PPO DSOs also need uh, uh, pre-authorization that when a patient comes in, they essentially need to first pre-authorize and, and then sort of let them and treat them? Yeah, it's a bigger deal, I think, on the government payers. Um, because the uh, most of your PPOs have the annual maximums, um, and so there's there's less intensity around um, you know large case management because the large cases generally just don't exist. Got it. Got it. Yep, makes sense. Thanks, thanks a lot for, sh- for sharing that. Yep. Great. Um, so you know, um, I, coming back to another specific question, we we spoke about all the different things uh, and and all the advantages, but um, uh, really wanted to speak from a DSO and a private practice relationship perspective. Um, so, so it would be great to understand, Ken, that, uh, you know, what do you think are the advantages from a financial operations perspective for private practices uh, when they partner with DSOs like uh, community rental partners? What can they expect, uh, which, which they're not already able to do? Sure. So, there, there are a couple of things. The, the first one is, is depending on when that private practice decides to partner with the DSO, if they're looking to grow, um, what, what the DSO offers is a platform that will allow them to grow much more smoothly and much more easily because they've already figured out a bunch of these things like revenue cycle and making sure that, that that's accelerated and cash flows coming in as quickly as possible. As an example, they also are generally have some, some, form of or portion of or maybe an entire executive team in place that's sitting back and looking at the big picture and doing a lot of planning and organizing. Um, My perspective, the way I think about this animal is this. Um, Dentistry traditionally has high margins. It is it, dentistry has the low, one of the lowest default rates of any type of business you can start in the country, less than 0.5% default rate on any type of debt they take. And they're viewed as very low risk with very high margin. That's part of why the industry is, it's one of the macroeconomic trends that's driving consolidation in dentistry, just like it did in healthcare in the 80s and 90s. And so um, what what is happening and, and, and the value of joining with the DSO is they're going to look at things and they're going to see things and figure out how can you optimize the cost it takes to get that new patient in the door. And they're going to be very scientific about it and very calculated about it. They're going to be able to figure out exactly what is the right optimum way for you to staff your practice and equip your practice and make sure that it's running as efficiently as possible. Now that I'm saying all these things, Emil, you know, you and I are not dentists and we aren't going to be. And so I'm talking about all the functions that are supporting so that the dentist can exercise their full autonomy when it comes to being chairside with a patient, doing their comprehensive diagnosis, deciding, you know, helping with the patient to decide what treatment they're going to accept and when it's going to be done and all of those kinds of things. So there's all these pieces of the puzzle all the way around that ultimately there's just generally speaking, I've never seen an individual practice 
where a DSO doesn't come and then they find ways to optimize something that happened. Maybe their unscheduled treatment list start just was growing and nobody was paying attention to it. Or maybe in their revenue cycle, they weren't realizing that they were handling some things incorrectly with the way they were billing some insurance companies. And with a couple of small tweaks, now they're collecting an extra two or 3% of of all the production that they do. Um, There are all of these little pieces of puzzle that as one dental practice, you know, one dentist owner, um, there, it's very, very hard to know and see and understand all of those things going on. So from a financial perspective, I think what you'd expect is, is to see your practice perform better over time because of the tremendous amount of support that you're going to have and, and your team and your staff are going to have around you. Right. Well, um, I, I think, uh, for me, for me, the biggest advantage that I see is the revenue cycle management. You said that that'll be just, that'll just be figured out and somebody will start taking care of it. It's essentially, you, you've already hired a CFO. You, you have a full-time CFO now. And, and I see that as a very, very big advantage. Every time I speak to a leader from a DSO, they, they, all, they always tell me how things changed completely the moment they had a CFO come in. And, and that, I think, is, is, is great, right? That if not for everything else, uh, I think practices should partner with, uh, with DSOs for the financial benefit, the operational benefits they get. And of course, then they can focus on what's their passion, which is providing great oral health. Um, just a very simple follow-up question on that. And uh, I, I, I don't know, I've, I've heard this, uh, people speak about this, but uh, maybe, uh, maybe I overheard something. But uh, do you think it's true that uh, DSOs probably have more leverage when negotiating terms and, and building relationships with, uh, with, uh, with the insurance providers compared to the private practices? Uh, is that an advantage as well, uh, that when private practices partner with DSOs? Um, I think, I think so. I don't have as much experience in this area. Um, and so I, I don't feel quite as qualified to comment on, on this uh, primarily because we support a lot of dental practices that are, um, heavily, um, uh, children's Medicaid, uh, we're supporting those types of, um, uh, uh, dental practices. Um, what I've seen is that, um, some, some DSOs are able to, and this is the feedback I've gotten, they're, they're able to get a little bit more negotiating power with the insurance companies, but it's very complex. Um, and so if anything, uh, the, the bigger the organization is that you partner with or that you affiliate with, um, they're going to be able to help or they've got an outsource firm that can help navigate through the myriad of third-party administrators out there that have different rates contracted. And all of a sudden, you know, one... Um, they can make sure that you're tied to the right network. That's going to get you the highest reimbursement available with those um, insurance companies. So I'm talking from a theoretical level, not a lot of practice just because um, we haven't, we haven't had as much experience. I personally haven't had as much experience with that. Got it. Got it. No, that's, that's helpful. Um, thanks for sharing that, Ken. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, coming to your personal projects, Ken, um, we've spoken a lot about uh, the kind of benefits uh, CFOs bring in your role at uh, Community Dental Partners and, and things like that. Um, coming to your personal projects where you run uh, two different podcasts, um, one is the Net Worth Hacks podcast and the other one is a Dental Finance Forum. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about that and, and what are these two initiatives all about? Yeah, sure. So the Net Worth Hacks uh, podcast was a pet project I started about two years ago. And I just... 
I've always been a fan of and a studier of all things personal finance. And so I thought, hey, I, I'll just use this as a venue to talk about some things that I've done or tried and um, lessons learned and those sorts of things. So it, it's a, it was a fun project. Just hit a, my 100th episode there and have officially announced a sabbatical because I've got some other projects and things going on, um, but excited to hit that triple digit number. Um, the second one, the Dental Finance Forum is very new. In fact, it's one of the projects that are consuming some of the some of the time now. And what I found in the group dental practice and the DSO uh, space is that for finance leaders like myself, there are very few resources to connect to understand best practices because everything's still so new in a consolidating industry. And so what I've done is I've reached out to some folks, some CFOs of other organizations like ours, and We've got a group now that meets once a month for a mastermind. We're doing a speaking engagement next month, um, and we're going to be doing some on-site visits as COVID uh, restrictions start to release. But basically, it's a group that gets together of, fi- of finance leaders. And so any of your listeners that have a CFO or a finance leader in their business, just go to final, uh, fin- uh, dentalfinanceforum.com. We just have a, uh, a landing page. You can just and have your CFO put their email address in, and then we can send them info and invite them to some of these events and things we're doing. And literally, we sit down and we just bring up a couple of topics of challenges and problems that we're dealing with, and we help each other solve them based on our experience and, and perspectives. It's, it's been very rewarding. It's one of the funnest things I've done in my career, and, um, and we're, we're, we're adding a lot of value to each other. And hopefully, ultimately, we want to impact the DSO industry by uplifting uh, the financial leaders that are supporting the DSOs. Wow, that's, that's super exciting. And, and hopefully a lot of people should from, from our podcast should uh, definitely you know, sign up and, and learn more from you. Um, and, and for me, what's, what's really exciting about this project of yours is um, I, I come from a marketing and technology background. And uh, I, 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 would, I would have probably seen thousands of communities around engineers, developers, technology folks for marketers. I, I never imagined that there could also be a community for finance leaders, which which seems like a great, it seems like a big gap, right? And and I think you're addressing that with that. So it's, so it's great that you're doing this. Yeah, thank you. It we it definitely falls on the on the mentality that we have inside Community Dental Partners, which is niche down hard and focused on finance leaders in the DSO group, group dental space, it's niched down very hard. So it's not like there's a lot of people out there, but, oh, wow. The, the amount of value that can come when you have a group that's all coming from that same perspective, it's, it's been pretty powerful so far. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Ken, you spoke about uh, where people can go in and, and be part of this community in case people want to reach out to you and learn from you. And, and like you said, that you can probably recommend uh, consultants as well who can come in and uh, uh, take care of finance. Uh, What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, sure. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just Ken Kaufman there. Um, You can hit me on Facebook or over in the DSO Secrets podcast group on in in Facebook. If you've joined that, or if you haven't, you might want to join that. There's some great discussions going on there. Um, And uh, those those would be probably the primary places for us to connect. and, And then we could get on a phone call or, or whatever from there. Great, great. While I didn't mention DSO Secrets, I'm, I'm pretty confident that uh, almost everybody on our podcast would know DSO Secrets for sure. Um, great. Uh, Ken, it's, it's been such a humbling conversation for me and experience for me, learning so many things from you. And, and I'm sure that everybody else who listens to our podcast, 
would uh, would learn so much and and take away so much uh, from what you have mentioned objective uh, insights so so thanks a lot for doing this um just uh, just wanted to ask you one last thing are there any final thoughts for the audience that you want to share um as as a final takeaway yeah sure um no, knowing that a lot of your listeners are in the process of either becoming a group practice or maybe even they're headed toward the process of becoming what what you'd call a full-fledged dso um, knowing that that's the journey that most are on, my, my thoughts are, uh, first of all, there is so much opportunity. And I, I would encourage you to just keep on that path and keep pushing. If you have a passion for it, there is so much opportunity um, in this space and there's going to be for quite a while. Um, and I've, I could list dozens of reasons why I believe that to be true. But I, my, the first piece I, of advice is, or maybe it's just perspective is, is I'm very optimistic about the future and about uh, uh, the opportunity. The second one would be um, trust your instincts around what, what, your biggest constraints are and work to solve those first. Just because you hear this podcast about some CFO guy, it doesn't mean it's time for you yet um, to, to go down that road. It, wherever your biggest constraint in your business is, I'm a big fan of the theory of constraints and, and everything around you know um, lean, lean manufacturing, the Six Sigma mentality, which all of that just is, whatever your most immediate problem is, go solve that. Don't solve a problem that you might need to solve two years from now, do that in two years. Um, and, and the more that we can as leaders discipline ourselves to do that. And I, I'd encourage your listeners, the more you're going to get those roadblocks out of the way and keep growth going and, and, and keep pushing forward. Great. Great. Uh, thanks a lot for sharing that, Ken. It reminds me of this conversation I had with another marketing leader and I asked him, what's, what, what are you trying to solve for today? And he said, patient experience. And I said, what are you going to solve in the next six months? And he said, patient experience. And I said, uh, is, isn't the marketing's goal patient acquisition? He said it is, but that's, that's a piece that's already been solved for. We're not struggling with that. You need to understand that just because marketing defines acquisition doesn't mean I blindly run behind that. I know that acquisition is, is already a piece solved for. I have operationalized it. I know that we are struggling with experience, and that's what I'm going to solve for now. So I think I completely agree with your approach and, and your thoughts. Couldn't agree more. Um, great. Thanks a lot, Ken, for being on the show. Um, it was great having you and, and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that people will learn a lot from you. Awesome. Hey, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure to be with you, Anmol. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emitter's podcast. Want to learn how you can reduce your new patient missed calls and grow your practice by 40% today? Take a look at emitrr.com.